This is Triathlon Therapy with your host, Danny McKenna, professional athlete and coach, Tim Reed, and... That's too much time. Look at Steve McKenna. Steve, what are you doing, Steve? That's too much time. Advantage Reed. Before we get started today, I want to plug an Instagram competition that we posted just a few days ago. Uh, and I also quickly do want to mention that if you are watching this as a reel, my daughter's hair is half done. This is not how we do her hair. She has a ponytail on one side. There's meant to be another one. I don't even know what you call those. But anyway, it's a bit weird. So <laughs> I should have mentioned it. Anyway, there's an Instagram competition. <laughs> this is a classic McKenna intro. Um, we are partnering with Aid Station um, this week on the podcast. I'm sure most people listening have heard of Aid Station. Um, and they're actually offering a $200 voucher to the first prize winner of our Instagram competition. You also get a triathlon therapy podcast mug uh, with that. And second prize is a $50 voucher at Aid Station online and a mug. And third prize, I'm sorry, you're just getting a mug. Okay, so Aid Station, to explain it, is Australia's dedicated sports nutrition store stocking high quality leading brands for endurance athletes. It's athlete owned and operated and they are great people. I have met them now. I'm in Europe still, so it was online, but they are really good people and they're going really well and they're offering some really great uh, benefits to athletes. Uh, I think the biggest benefit that I see is that you can go and get everything you usually use um, with triathlon, uh, trail running, marathon, everything in the one spot. So you visit one website and you've got hundreds of brands and you're only paying shipping once. That's probably the biggest benefit, I would say. Um, but they also actually offer free shipping over $99. So that benefit's just gone once you pay, once you spend enough. They've got nerd belts on there. Of course, I'm going to give them a plug as I usually do. You've got Modex, Pillar, Hammer, Prepped, Modex. Said them twice. <laughs> <laughs> You've got hundreds of other brands. Obviously, I'm only mentioning the ones I'm sponsored by, but um, they have so many brands on there. Get it all in one spot and um, support an Aussie, um, you know, an Aussie brand. It's um, the equivalent of the feed, and they're up and coming and doing great things. And um, yeah, we're offering a competition with them, a very generous competition as well. So. Get behind them, get behind the Instagram competition as well. And I'm not going to be on this episode, but I'm very jealous. You've got Dan Blues on and it's going to be, well, the more, more let's just get him to talk. It'll be very informative if so. And um, <laughs> less jokes from me, I won't be there, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> G'day everyone, today we've got Dan Plews, one of the most respected coaches out there in triathlon at the moment, a highly qualified sports scientist slash nerd, uh, actually holds the, two, the Ironman World Championship age group record, coach of last year's Ironman World Championship winner in the for the women's, and I've had the personal uh, pleasure of being coached by Dan and really, really stoked that you could get on here and have a chat to us, Dan. Welcome aboard. No, no. Thank you for having me. It's been um, there's some podcasts that I just want to come on for the banter, and this was a uh, this was one of them. I'm not I'm not coming on for the downloads. <laughs> yeah. well, that, that's definitely a good thing, <laughs> mate. Um, we want to. We're probably just going to talk about a few different topics. Jump in when you can. We're not going to interview you as much as you probably used to. Not that we're not interested. Just that it's just not how we do it. So, yeah. firstly, we're just going to jump into the PTO race, which I know you had a couple of athletes racing. Um, I had Apo there as well and a couple of age group, group ah, age groupers, age gropers um, <laughs> <laughs> racing as well. Um, pretty, uh, first of all, I'm just getting more and more impressed with the way the PTO are running these events. I'm not going to lie. I found it hard to watch triathlon, especially after retiring, but I'm getting pretty excited to be a spectator again. Um, first of all, Chelsea ripped out a really good one. 
How did you feel about it? How did you feel about it? Anything different you did going into it? Was it a big focus? Lots of questions. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, Chelsea's had, I mean, I think it's it's no no surprise that Chelsea's not had the best year. It's been a bit, been a bit up and down, right? Um, and, uh, and like, you know, she, we had a really good run into Challenge Roth and, um, and she was in like absolutely outstanding shape for um, that. And then, um, but the, the, the issue was obviously she got, she got E. coli just before it. And then, um, well, probably like the day before actually, um, from the, from the water, she was really okay. sick in hospital. And it took us quite a long time to kind of, um, get to the bottom of it. Um, so she really only started training again three weeks ago. And of course, with the bigger picture in mind, which is obviously Kona, um, she hadn't really done any focus cycling around, you know, it was kind of, we kind of done quite a high intensity block because we doing a bit more high intensity on the bike before we kind of go into the more specific work in the lead into Kona. So with all, all things considered, considering where we are in the block, um, it was good. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, it's, it was kind of a relief. If you saw Chelsea when she crossed the line, she looked like pretty relieved, right? <laughs> um, it was yeah. just to get a run on the board this year you know she she had a good race in oceanside to be fair um first race of the year and it's uh but yeah i mean she had she closed out with a, with a great run and like make no mistake she is outstanding she's an outstanding runner. and people i think many people don't realize just how good she is and like you know i coach some male pros and she's she her running is as close to a lot of male pro standards you know um so if it was you and her in a 21k race who wins yeah she, she would I, she would beat me hands down i reckon <laughs> in a in a in, a, in a, my best in an iron man i reckon she would um it'll be close but i think she's still she'd still take me out i reckon i mean in roth before she had a stomach problem she was she was going to go low 240s i think holy but, dooly wow yeah. is she naturally gifted in the heat sorry fellas i'll let you in soon <laughs> is she naturally um, gifted in the heat <laughs> i think i think there's a there's a bit of both i mean we do we do very specific we do, do specific heat prep and i think we have that down quite well some of the some of the things that we've got going um but also she she's naturally her running economy is very very good so she gets by her running speed doesn't come from a massive vo2 max it comes from just an outstanding running economy and like if you look at the the literature and the the science behind it, like if you if you match people for fitness, which is obviously important for coping with the heat, running economy is really important because if your running economy is good, your metabolic heat production is low, and therefore you can go better better in the heat. You don't want to be someone who's running fast from a big engine. You know, it works, but it's not as effective. So her race, like going to Singapore in the heat, compared to say like Oceanside. Is your advice to her, like in terms of how to how to attack the race and how to how to execute as well as possible, different? In terms yeah, of the yeah, yeah, definitely a bit different. I mean, especially in humid conditions, like you you can't in those sorts of conditions you can't dissipate the heat, right? So once you get hot, because it's so humid, sweating doesn't evaporate, and therefore you don't dissipate the heat so well. So the only if you go out too hard and your metabolic heat production's high and you get hot you are really going to struggle to to cool yourself down in those sorts of conditions so you can't take that strategy where you you know blast out the first one or two k and then kind of settle into it you, you just can't do that because you'll you'll just get too hot and then you have to slow down a lot to bring yourself back into kind of like a core temperature that's controllable so you know we, we, our strategy was to build into the run a little bit more not go out at 320k pace for example and just kind of slowly build 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 the pace which i think she um she executed quite well similarly in the water like do you try and just get her to dial it back a few percent so she's not actually revving too because i'm yeah the water was like 30 degrees yeah the water like, was ridiculous yeah, filthy yeah. like it was so hot yeah i mean and and that and that's i mean and the worst thing i mean i live i lived in singapore for four years so i know just what it's like um and you you don't feel it really either you kind of jump in and then you and you get halfway around and you're absolutely cooking um but you, you know within reason yes but you know sit on the feet and and whatnot like aaron's a prime example he wasn't feeling that well before the race but we kind of did talk about him maybe not leading the swim because he could not chill a little bit more and kind of get his um get, not get it's, too hot so. it seemed like a fair few of the guys had the same plan at the start of that yeah. race they were all like and it allowed like Blumenfeld and Jason West yeah, and yeah, a few exactly. others actually stay on the group, but yep. you could see that they were all a bit like, 
if we can keep that percentage back a little bit, then they're not going to cook. Yeah. And so, well, I, I, well, Aaron had Aaron had a bit of gastro leading into the race. He had he had um he was quite he was actually quite sick. He, I mean, he told me after the race that he was downplaying it quite a lot, but he was pretty bad to the point where he was almost considering not starting. Um, but he he said the the swim he goes he goes it's so slow it was ridiculously slow. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I tried you know um but um. But yeah, I mean, it does. I mean, I think with Chelsea though, she's not going to be leading anyway. But you just could have. I mean, we had a plan to try and come up with Ash Gentle, and um, and that's what she did. So yeah. So um, back to Royal too. Um, he seems like a fairly sweaty beast of a of a bloke. Just from when <laughs> I remember racing him back in the past, I remember yeah. uh, first time he raced a seventy point three when I was running past him. Um, <laughs> yeah. um he i think it was his fourth race in four weeks or something to his credit so he um he probably didn't have his best debut that he could have but he i remember him being really sweaty is he and at the end of that race he looked wrecked i didn't realize yeah. that he had gastro as well so did you put that down mainly to the gastro or is he sort of going to struggle in hotter races or you think he he mm. had done enough of the heat prep that it wasn't i think he didn't I, gastro? I, I think he'd done enough of the heat prep. Um, I think, um, I mean, it's always difficult to tell how much, you know, how much they're sweating compared to others. We've just, with, with, with the visual, right, it's quite difficult because you don't know how much the water they've thrown over them and, and whatnot. But, um, but like, I mean, he was just, some, I mean, he had a very good race. When he was up at the front, when he was with, um, when he was with, in the Blumenfeld group, I was like, whoa, this is a massive surprise. But then, he um because I thought he was just gonna kind of go backwards because of the way he said he was feeling, um and um but he was but he was still there and he and he would have still kept there if he hadn't crashed, so um because then he crashed and he bent his rear derailleur and his gears were That's slipping right. and he, yeah. he banged his hip and his and his um rib. Um, Bapo still couldn't catch him, so that's still good, eh? Bapo <laughs> <laughs> looked fresh at the finish. I said to Apo, you know, we had a very conservative approach, and then the last 5K, I'm like, go, 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 and I felt like he was still too yeah, conservative yeah. right at the end. Um, but it yeah. was close. But, like, there was a lot of a lot of those, a lot of them were pretty pretty cooked at the end. Like, you looked at, yeah. like, um, Bakugard was totally cooked, and, yeah, it was mm. just, I, by, the look of, by the looks of it, it was a much hotter hotter day for the men than it was for the women i mean chelsea actually chelsea's run split would have placed a six in the men's race yeah far so, out so i mean i mean she had a good run but i don't know if that's a, you know it shows how hot the men's race was compared to the compared to the women's i think so it's got to be so hard in those conditions with that with the the heat and then also the race dynamics like it speaks to what you said earlier dan with um once they get hot like back and guards a good example it yeah. just look it Towards the end, it just looks borderline cruel. And the guys who are yeah, running well it? can yeah. actually get it done. Like, they just chew time out of the guys who have overheated. So Yeah, exactly. Well, it's all – I mean, the only way you can really get your core temp down is to reduce your metabolic heat production. And the only way you do that is slowing down. It's like, you know, you just um, – and eventually you can only – you know, you, it just catches up on you. You get hotter and hotter and hotter. Core temperature rises throughout the race. And then it's like, yeah, I've got to slow down now. So – but the the ones who have that conservative pacing strategy and and like you know my advice is that on in those sorts of races you have to feel on the run especially you have to feel like you're holding back all the time like mm. and if you're not holding back you're going to cook yourself you know speaking, until, of, speaking of not holding back what about Heimrich off the front early in that bike <laughs> yeah. like yeah. Um, I, I expected him to be like a, a massive explosion um and he, he held it together fairly well um yeah, very, I mean, well. You, very well yeah we were talking about it earlier in the week uh with like mike mike phillips and him raced it i think it was 70.3 talent yeah. and mike had been on like he's a you, you know he's a beast on a bike and, yeah. and i think peter out rode him that day so it's like it's not as if oh, he's, did he? I well, thought though, i thought peter caught him on the run i don't I, I did see that i know that mike was second he was first but i thought I they thought got, they were together on the run at some point. They got off the bike together. So right, like, and, okay. and Mike, Mike said afterwards that it was a, a pretty um, red hot day. So like it's not as if he's useless on the bike, but certainly compared to the guys in that race, mm, it was yeah. um, 
it looked like he was certainly on a kamikaze path, and in the end, he held it together relatively. Yeah, he held it together he, really well. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't look like someone who, you know, like there is there is something to be said by um, by complexion, like you know, pastier pastier people, fair skin, they generally do go worse in the heat, and that that's an, it's known, right? That's not it's not it's a known fact that that is the case, and um, <laughs> and he does not look like someone who would be generally that good in the heat, you know. Yeah, so, even when they interviewed his impressed. when they interviewed his brother who coaches him, he was like, "Oh yeah, we got here a week ago. Hope that's enough enough adaption." And I was like, "It's yeah. not going to be enough." And then, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then it was uh, it was more than enough. I yeah. think the cool thing about these hot races is it's a bit like Hawaii in that it's never over. And I said that to Apo, like anything yeah. can happen in that last six or seven kilometers. We saw it with Anne Haug. We saw it with um, Royal as well. You can get a mechanical and still be right up there in the race, um, yeah, yeah, particularly yeah. Anne. Like, that was super professional to just keep her head in the game, fight on to the finish. Whereas if that's a cool race, maybe maybe Anne's a, a bit of an exception, but if that's a cooler race, you know the order's not going to change that much off the bike. All these guys yeah, are at for sure. Girls people, girls are at a Yeah, level. exactly. Because people totally, they totally crash. And, it's, and that's what I, I love that about, that's why I, I'm so I love the world championships being in Hawaii and you know and I'm a bit bummed that the men's race isn't. Um, because I feel as a coach, it gives you the opportunity to do things better than anyone else. You know, you, it suddenly becomes a little bit more than talent. It, preparation becomes key. And getting that part right, getting all the bits in between right is I think it gives you if you're smart about what you're doing, you can you can do very well, you know. So how much of the heat adaptation is genetics, but Dan, like I know, I know one guy from Lennox Head who always really, really, really struggled over <laughs> in Hawaii, and he'd probably argue that it's good that the um, the race is moving around. But like, I mean, there's a lot of people like Pete Jacobs, Crowey, um, yeah, Patrick yeah. Lang, who are just like they just yeah, don't seem to sure. sweat. For sure. I mean, and, and body shape. Yeah, there's, there's there's many things like body shape is also another major thing. Like, you know, like Fredino, for example, he's a prime example. He's he's a big guy, but he's so long, you know, and the longer a longer muscle dissipates heat easier. So you keep more you keep cooler, whereas someone and this is why Christian Blumenfeld is an absolute mind boggle i have no clue how he goes so fast in the heat it absolutely blows surely, my mind surely you have but, some clue dan yeah <laughs> it's just everything about him everything about him is um you know his from his body shape and his size and everything else like that he, he's not he's not someone who should be good in the heat but he, he clearly is and um, and also he's got a really high vo2 max you know, so he's clearly doing his running is coming from a high metabolic work. So it's just it's just mad. It's crazy. So it's a, I mean, it's one of those. He's an athlete I've constantly made horrible predictions about, um, <laughs> and he and I keep getting it wrong with him because I before I even raced Kona, I said no chance we'll do well in Kona. Absolutely no chance. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, I mean, I wrote a blog as well that was um, I said I wrote a blog that's like why running economy is so important in Kona, and it was and I said you know. And I said, I think Gustav will win over Christian because I think, that look, just looking at him and look from what I hear, his his economy is probably better. His VO2 max might be slightly lower, so you know that's why he'll go better in the heat. But still, I mean, Christian was no slouch in Kona, right? <laughs> nah. It was interesting, actually. We commented last episode. Um, Christian, you know, had the cramping issues. And we actually made a comment about how I think that Red Bull really contributes to cramps. Like there oh, seems really? to be almost, almost like a really quick effect. People have Red Bull and within five minutes they're cramping. And I actually got a DM from Christian thanking really? me after the race saying, man, thank you so much for your advice around cramping. It saved my race. You're a legend. <laughs> I really appreciate you and your show. So I always said he was a good bloke, and so shout out to Christian for the message. Is that is that if that's true, he's probably lost his uh, he's lost his Red Bull contract now. Yeah, yeah. If that is true. He's obviously lost his phone, and someone's playing jokes. <laughs> really went hard on on uh, Blumenfeld last episode. Just backtracking, backtracking. Yeah, he, he was very impressive over there, but uh, I think. Gustav was impressive too, although like his day didn't go near as 
as planned. He was very honest in the in the lead up to the race where he said, like, oh, I think a top ten would be would be a good result here. And it's like, is he playing games or is he is he genuine? And then he was clearly he was being realistic. And yeah. then to be interviewed, like to be interviewed straight after the race. Yeah, and, was and was yeah, and he was really like mature about it. And then when they said it was something along the lines of um like what do you think's going wrong? And he just said like inconsistency in training. That yeah. was that was super professional because I mean there's obviously a bit going on behind the scenes and and he just left it at that. So like yeah. shout out shout out to him. I think watching Eden, um, everyone's heart went out to him and it made me think about just everyone watches these races and they 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 pick the winner to get inspiration from. And every race there's a whole host of people who go home with their tail between their legs and the ups and downs of racing was just I just it just reminded me of how heartbreaking the sport can be you know you put so much into an to into a prep maybe less so because he knew that he wasn't where he wanted to be but far out like it was you know Mike Phillips as well with that yeah. puncher um it's it's hard to watch sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah especially you travel all that way and yeah, I, I really hope Gustav does come back and has a re resurgence I mean it was it was hard to watch him at the side of the road right you know because yeah. he could have got back on that bike easy but yeah and, and yeah. The, just to be completely honest about it too he's just like I'm like my head wasn't yeah. in it today that's like that's yeah. he could have just said I've got a mechanical yeah. and, and went home but he was so honest that it was um yeah it was great to see so speaking of the highs and lows, Dan, obviously 2018, you set the um, age group world record in Kona. Was there ever an inkling, I should have a crack at racing pro? Or age, just age group Kona course record, not the... Not oh, the, sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> just, just, to, just to make sure. Um, I didn't need honestly, to clarify, I just own it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, no, there was really no no inclination really i mean for me like it's even i don't really think about age group racing i just I, i've always just wanted to do times that i want to go as fast as i can and do the times that i'm proud of you know and like yeah 824 was um was a good time and it, and i was racing age group but you know there was a lot of there's there a lot of pros in the same age group who were way faster than me you know so it doesn't <laughs> It, but I mean, it's not that I'm not proud of what I did on that day. And, um, you know, and I was working full time. I had, you know, and I did do it legitimately. But there was there was no chance that I was ever going to make a living. You know, I just had a my daughter was one years old. I'd had, um, you know, I got a mortgage. I was, you know, trying to pay the bills. And it's just it's just totally unrealistic. I mean, if that if that happened 10 years earlier, then, yeah, I probably would have done it. But. I think it's just the time in your life that, you know, I was what, 35 then, 36, and it just wasn't, um, it didn't seem like a responsible responsible thing to do, you know? I remember that that day, I don't know if I went two minutes faster or two minutes slower than you in the pro race and was devastated. And I remember thinking, I should go back to age group. Everyone's lo everyone's loving that result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The pro race was so hard with all the surging and everything. And then yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's like. Well, 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 in hindsight, you know, like, you know, in terms of my career, in terms of my coaching and, you know, at the time, it, it I always tell the story that, you know, I had a PhD, I had 30 publications. I'd coached you, I'd coached Burks, I'd coached Caroline Stefan, I coached Terenzo, and but no one gave a no one gave a shit about me as a coach until <laughs> I won that. And then suddenly I become a great coach. And I'm like, which makes no sense, right? Because you don't have to be a great you don't have to be to be a great coach, you don't have to be a great athlete, you know? And um, but if if I'd have done that in the pros, no one would have even realized it had happened, right? So it was um it was a real a real blessing because it did it did change a lot for me as a as in as, as a professional coach so you're like you're pretty realistic about that like in terms of like the external stresses on on your performance at the time were you like did you think or did you finish that and go that's as good as i could have been or did it take you a while to like be like content with it because i know like the people that get into this sport are normally very like 
perfection based and, and it's not until like sometimes a long time afterwards that they go you know what that was as good as I could be but were you really did you think you executed that as well as you could yeah there's no I couldn't have gone that's why I'm not going back to Kona <laughs> <laughs> because there's no, oh, there's that no chance great. I'm getting any a number of things one is that I was in great shape it was a fast day and I had um, and I had a great race and like and even on that run, I was like, I was running along and I had like, and I kept like clipping out and I was coming back on the Queen K and I kept running under four minute Ks. And I was, and I was thinking, oh, I did like a 350K coming back along to the, you know, to the bottom of the hill before it goes up. And I'm like, oh, and I knew I was 10 minutes in front and I was like, oh, I should shut it down. I don't need to run this fast anymore. But I kept running too fast. You know, it was just one of those days. It was just, it didn't even, it was so, it, it didn't really hurt me until I ran down Polani and my quads got pretty sore oh wow and then and then and then i got them i looked like oh that was sore but um <laughs> but i reckon i honestly reckon if 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 someone had said to me there's someone a minute in front with 10k to go i could have i reckon i could have actually run a little bit quicker wow. yeah but it's one of those days that you don't get very often right so how much did training with terenzo help that performance was it did you feed off each other i, I mean terenzo's performance is uh, I don't think he'd mind saying he'd sort of plateaued a little bit before he started working with you. And then he went on another run of great racing. Um, yeah. Did it work the other way for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, training with Terenzo was, I think that was another reason why everything went so well, because, you know, he was always a little bit faster than me. He's an amazing trainer. He's, you know, there's total no bullshit approach to to the way he, he operates. Um, and, and he taught me, one of the main things he taught me is he taught me to ride a bike fast, you know, like riding behind him all the time. Um, it's a different, it's a, it's a, it's a skill that people, you know, riding a bike on time trial and riding along the flats, he's just, he just operates at such high speeds and the way he uses the road to move fast. And that's one of the things that I think I learned the most from, from him riding with him just made me into a better, a better cyclist, you know, because I just followed him and um, that was it. So. Do you mean in terms of like he's really good at connecting hills and riding the downhills? Yeah, exactly. So over the yeah. top of the hills, using the speed from the downhills and yeah. pushing at the right times up the hills. And yeah, it, it, it's amazing to you, – people don't realize, like that's why spending your time on a trainer all the time is a problem because mm -hmm. you will never learn these skills unless you um, unless you actually get behind someone who knows how to ride a bike properly. And as you know, Terenzo was an amazing cyclist. And Kona is particularly important for that. It's with those, it's just constantly rolling. You've got crosswinds. If you know how to move your bike well and use the momentum, yeah. plus for the pros when you're in the pack and knowing when is a good time to move to the front based off your momentum and free speed or when, or where the motorbikes are pulling close, all that sort of thing. I've ridden with Terenzo and I agree. It's same as, same as um, riding with, let's say, Apo compared to Steve. Steve didn't grow up cycling like Apo and you can – Early on, when I was coaching Steve, you could just you could just see him hemorrhaging time, even just on yeah. training rides on corners and things like that. Yeah. Whereas Apo would do things without subconsciously, without even realizing. Yeah. And he's probably saving 15 watts over the course of a for the same time over a technical bike course. So exactly, yeah. And and I think this is one of the problems where where people get too obsessed with like looking at the power meters when they're doing the the training, and they say, oh, we got you know four 30 minute intervals, and I'm holding you know two 30 watts and and sometimes you just got to put that aside and feel your speed a little bit more, you know, and when you, and like half the time it would work out that me, when, cause I'm a lot, quite a bit bigger than Terenzo. When I was like sat behind him, I could gauge it where we would almost be at the same power. Um, but I, you'd almost have to ignore it a lot of the time because the, the normalized power of the interval would be similar, but the, the, you know, just the feeling of the road of keeping up with him made me made, made a big difference to, to the way I rode. So yeah. Dan, when I reflect on all the different coaches I worked with, sometimes my criticism during the time that I was working with them, I look back at it now and realize it was more a reflection on myself and uh, not owning my own flaws. And I think for myself, I remember when I, when I worked under you, I think to this day, it was my most best numbers in races for two or three of my races of my whole career when I look at the objective numbers um I think later Matt Dixon worked really well with me from a, a more of a he's a he's a brilliant psychologist in some ways and was able to get a bit more out of me the following year in terms of race results but 
fitness-wise, I don't think I ever got to a higher level than when I was working with you. At the time, I sometimes found it hard that you weren't a parent and I was <laughs> because I felt like I felt like you didn't quite get it. And then um, in retrospect, I think I've always just been terrible at putting aside time to recover. But did your coaching change um, down the track as you became a parent or the way you approached working with athletes who were parents themselves? Yeah, well, well I guess, I guess, well, a few things like, you know, when I look back at my coaching when I was with coaching you and I think there were some good days and like I always remember fondly when you and Bert got first and second in the the race in the Philippines you know there were some really good days but like I was looking back I was so green as well and and my background was purely you know I come from a physiology background and I'd really done you know that's the difference between coaching and and training right I was a good trainer but I wasn't necessarily I think I wasn't that great at the coaching side with the psychology and I think you know now I'm way better than that and I and I said to it's funny I said to Chelsea the other day I said oh yeah I, I don't think I'm very good at the psychology side and she and she said no oh, that's not true I think that's one of your your best assets you know your best qualities now you know so hopefully I've, I've you know it just takes time but you can't you can't learn that through a textbook right you, yeah. you learn it through through the, the trade um but yeah I mean like just like you like just like every other person who doesn't have kids when they think they know what it's like to have kids. And I can tell you, I had absolutely no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> Just like everyone else. Yeah. I remember one day, one day I said to you, I've got this session, this session, and this session. I don't, hang on, my youngest is calling. What's yeah, up, Meg? Speaking of kids. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It's really good to hear you say that, Dan, like that you're kind of still, I guess you'd almost say like a level of, like Reedy and I have spoken about it, you almost have a level of imposter syndrome along the way. And sometimes yeah. you're like, you just, it's, you're second guessing the way that you go about things. And um, I think it's a good way to be, but right. You're always second guessing what you're doing. Oh yeah, you're, definitely. Definitely. You, you, you're never like, I've nailed this. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, and I, I think as a coach, like that imposter syndrome comes back all the time. And like, you yeah. know, we, we've like Chelsea won the Kona, right. And then, then three or four months later, I'm questioning what the hell I'm, you know, whether I'm cut out for this because she's had a bad run of races. And you can go from hero to zero and like that, just like as a coach, it's the same as an athlete. Like, you know, you win one race, you go shit the next one. And then you're like, ah, why am I here? And it's the same as a coach. You, you, you question yourself and you have that real level of imposter syndrome. Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so true. And I think it's, I think it's only healthy because it, you know, you have to, you have in to those situations way. when you're, when you've got a good relationship with the athlete, do you openly speak about it or do you just sit at home and stew on it at three in the morning? Like, yeah, well, I talk, I mean, th those situations, you, I talk to my wife about it, right? You don't, yep. I don't think you want to give athletes that you're even second guessing yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in terms of, say, like Chelsea post, post Roth or whatever. Did, yeah, did you... yeah. You, you, I mean, but I think, I think it's more, you have to have that because then you don't, otherwise you don't evaluate what you're doing, right? You've got to, if you think you think oh it'll be right you're never going to get better so um but to to answer the question on the the parenting thing like yeah i had no clue what it was like to be a parent just like everyone everyone else who's listening to this and isn't a parent right now you're probably thinking you know what it's like to be a parent <laughs> you definitely don't <laughs> goodbye goodbye six to seven hours of your day every day <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, do you know what is the, the funny thing is like I, when i was i had for my phd i had two supervisors and one of them was um one of the guys called Martin Bichette, super, super published in the area. And I remember I went, I went, he worked at Qatar and I went to, and at the time I was working for rowing New Zealand and I was coming back from what European tour. And I met with him and I said, and he go, and I said, Oh, how's things? He goes, yeah, I guess he goes really busy. And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm busy with rowing and it, you know, but I'm enjoying it, you know, PhD in rowing. And he just looks at me, goes, Dan, you have no idea about busy <laughs> when you have children you will know <laughs> and i was like yeah whatever but um he was right <laughs> yeah in terms of um question for everyone um in terms of being adaptive coaches and stuff has the pto's announcement uh, uh of this tour it might be a bit early but uh have you guys started thinking about how you might adapt around that as coaches given you all coach pro athletes it's a good question um danny the the biggest the big issue now is there's so many options on the calendar so 
um, Dan might think a little bit the same as me. It's like do, you can, Apo's sort of gone down the route of I'm just going to chase some cash this year because whereas Steve, I've said, you know, you've got a couple of years of a real opportunity of a world championship. Let's put all your eggs in that basket. Um, I think that can pay off down the track financially, um, but it is harder to do to make that commitment. And it's been particularly hard with Steve over the years to get him dial in on one race. But it's hard with the late call-ups to the PTO races, with the amount of money they're offering. It's very lucrative. It's attractive. Um, I think it just I, – I don't have a set plan or approach, but it definitely complicates things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with really the – when I've been thinking about it, like it becomes the real challenge is for someone like Chelsea who would want to do well in the PTO races and do well at the World Ironman Championships. That becomes pretty tricky because there's a lot of races and all those races seem like they're going to be in different continents. So there's a lot of travel, a lot of races. Um, to, so to do both, I think, is going to be hard. But um, I'm, I'm also hoping that Javi's going to make a comeback next year. So, um, so I'm, I'm trying to persuade him to go for that PTO because I think that distance and that, oh. that type of racing will be really good for him. You know, he's a consistent racer. He's used to the ITU. It's not, not super long. So, um, that's something that's good. been really surprising is how well so many of the pros seem to be traveling and racing. Like I, yeah. you, you send age groupers to races and they're just like, oh, I was, I was terrible because you know they travel with travel constraints but like blumenfeld flew in what friday night or something for that race the other day yeah he, what, he, he blows he, my mind you know what what Blumenfeld so blumenfeld he did hamburg sprint and then he went and did milwaukee and then he did um paris test event and then he went and did um singapore and now he's doing the world 70.3 champs and then he's doing super league do you think he's flying as a, in, in a hazmat suit or something to make sure that he doesn't get sick? Like how, yeah. how you can keep No, but he's on that. a he's in business class. He's got his feet up. I actually think, you know, Terenzo did it well. If you're going to do lots of races back to back and you're really banking on doing well, you can't do that in economy. It's too much yeah. compression on the spine. Like you've already got the dehydration no matter where you're sitting on the plane. I think, if, but if you're doing it in business, it's another game. It is another game, but the, the thing that, I think is if you think about that, so that's like six weeks there, mm. but it's the six weeks of no training. Like yeah. you're basically doing no training and one hard session a week for six weeks. And that's what that's what baffles me is I don't know how that that's possible. It doesn't seem, you know? it doesn't seem like he really stops the training though, Dan. Yeah, he must um, well like, exactly. So he must be he must be doing something. Well he, he was he's got his trainer yeah, on was, the plane. He right? was on the treadmill. According to Apo, he was on the treadmill. He arrived at 6 or 7 p.m. Yeah. and Aaron said the, the same at 12 12 a.m. at night doing yeah, five yeah. or six yeah I heard, I heard 11 11 p.m. he was on the treadmill yeah. <laughs> in a tracksuit <laughs> in a full tracksuit yeah oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to what you said Danny in regards to the PTO and it changing the way that pros attack for the for the guys who are just starting out with pro racing I think one of the biggest limiting factors that we see with the guys who are starting to race pro is the um is the financial aspect you know like to to juggle making enough money to survive but then also not working so much that you you can be competitive so for the pto to offer money if you can get to a level where you are making money then it's it's worth chasing for sure right okay. dan exogenous ketones uh, yes the I, i've you know reading about the um the way it can increase the number of red cells. I, I found that super interesting and and typically anything that does that tends to get banned in our sport. Um, is the evidence clear enough that it does that? And if it does, do you think that it should potentially be banned? Um, yeah, I guess at the moment we're still like, there's been two studies, right? There's been two studies that have shown it. Um, and it, and it is actually quite clear as well. It was, you know, from memory, it was like a 5% increase. Um, but I mean, ketones are kind of a naturally uh, reoccurring substance in the body, but I guess the, I mean, especially like the, del like the Delta G and the, um, and the monoesters, you know, they're quite potent. So, you know, so it's a really tricky one. My feeling is no, um, because they're accessible to, they are easily accessible, you know, and they're not really, 
there's you can't it's not really dangerous um but i mean it's not the first time i've been asked this question but at the moment i, I think i think not i mean the the i think they have very strong um a very strong usage case point for just recovery in general you know i think i think from a performance standpoint it's a little bit ambiguous in terms of the research um especially from like high intensity i mean i i, I used to i used to be a bit more gun-ho with it as you know but now i've kind of come back and i'm not as gun-ho like specifically for the pros where there is an element of the high intensity that's still required age group ironman i think it i think you can probably do no harm and i I, I think what it, it probably has some blood, um, like some blood glucose stabilizing. So stop preventing hyperglycemia um, during racing. Um, but the main, the main, the main thing it's been shown to be very good at is, um, is basically recovery. So, and now the EPO, the EPO side of things. So, yeah. So my, my counter argument to play devil's avocado um, would be that, it's not that accessible because it's still quite expensive. It's expensive, yeah. If it wasn't expensive, I'd probably be like, yeah, sweet, go for it. But, you know, it's, to get the EPO effect that was shown in the studies, I think it was two serves a day. What would the Yeah, probably... one, one after training, one before bed. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it, it just... also promotes sleep. I don't know if you saw that. Like, like Jeez, I'm yeah. on it. That's good. <laughs> so um, it, was one of, it was one of the main things was it was it improved sleep when – it was taken um, after the last session of the day. So especially if the intent of the session was quite intense. So yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, we'll see what, what happens with it, but what's, so what's two serves a day? What's that 20, 30 bucks a day? Or is it cheaper than that? Yeah, so three, so the like the Delta G, three of them, like they come in a three case, it's a hundred USD. Okay. So, yeah. So is, is oh, that, that but how, how long would that 33 $33 a day? Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I, that's the only for me. It's like if if something's easily available and everyone's on the same playing field, I'm, I'm like, OK, that's all cool. But it's just that's just too much for most young kids. And it's yeah, like it then creates an unfair advantage. Um, yeah. It's a question of how, you know, how much of an advantage it's, it's really making, you know? Yeah. Um, we Yeah. We just don't know. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to say. Yeah. Uh, last episode, I sort of said, made a small comment about vaccines, the, the COVID vaccine and potential heart issues. I wanted to clarify what I said last episode, just got a tiny bit of pushback from people. I'm certainly not on the conspiracy bandwagon. I'm not even anti-vaccine in any way. My only, my main concern was that for athletes, I think that there is a disproportionate amount of side effects for young healthy male well not disproportionate they are the most affected um and my only recommendation and dan you might have thoughts on this is people need to treat it it is a big immune response when you get a vaccine any vaccine there's normally an immune response covid vaccine in particular you've just got to treat it with some respect and have some rest going into it and rest coming out the other side i think that was one thing that i, I regretted doing when i had mine is um just I asked the nurse after I got it, oh, can I train as normal? And she was like, yeah, yeah. And so I went and trained like four and a half, five hours that day and then was pretty cooked afterwards. Um, and I don't think it's a conspiracy theory that pharmaceutical companies love making money. I used to work for one for a year when I decided I wanted to go pro. And even the CEO of that company, his number plate was, I think it was 450 million was his number plate because he wanted to, that was the number <laughs> he wanted to make for the Australian division that year. Um, it was a soulless job. I regret it, but it got me, <laughs> got me training and got me enough money to go overseas and race for the, my first pro season. But yeah, there's, without greed, they also wouldn't be funding a lot of important medical studies to try and make money. So there's, there's two sides to it. Dan, any thoughts on how you would play it with athletes? In terms of yeah um i mean yeah it's always a difficult one to talk about i find i mean i just i just stay clear of it for for good reason right because you <laughs> mentioned one thing and it and it goes up and and you know i'm not a medical doctor but yeah. um there is a paper published in nature that talks about the the relative risk associated with vaccines um for different age groups so if you really want to actually do your research find that paper and it will tell you everything you know 
about everything you need to know about the relative risk of different age groups and really is 100% right there is a larger risk for younger people than there is for older people and um, and mean and it's the risk of and you have to put it against the risk of illness as well so um, but yeah that's all all I would say on it well played go and, go and do your own research straight into politics after this Dan yeah 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 don't don't <laughs> don't be a don't be a sheep just look at it yourself <laughs> Dan, can I um we we try to we ask the well we call them fans but you know we're not sure if they if that's what they really are but <laughs> but we ask them to send in questions and we always try to merge a few together and I might I might ask one or two if I can um there was a guy who who basically said he's a big fella um background in in rugby and 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 a tradie. But he's um, but he sits at about of hundred kilos, and he's been he's transitioned into triathlon, um, and he's found it particularly hard to to lose weight. So he's sort of asked for the coaches how you how you tackle weight loss at the same time as incorporating triathlon training for the for, for various people. And Reedy and Clint, you're all coaches, so. <laughs> I don't know if Dan I don't know if Dan would be dealing with too many hundred kilo ex rugby players in what he's doing. <laughs> I I mean it is it is a hard one, like um because like you have to be very careful with the relative energy deficiency and losing weight and trying to train at the same time and bone stress injuries and, and everything else. Um but I think if you are gonna lose weight, you need to you need to do it at a time when the training load's not super, super high. You know, so um, you need to make a concerted effort during a, a next couple of months where you, you know, you have to shift your macronutrients, shift the time of the macronutrients, but also at a time when you're not trying to do your highest training load because that's only going to end in um, end in disaster. Um, can I cut in with a different fan question? Will AI end coaching roles um, and more existentially? Are we screwed as humans? <laughs> <laughs> um, Johnny, my 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 feeling is absolutely 100% not, because um, you know, and I think it's very clear is that pe- like um, athletes want human connection. Like, there's more to there's more to a coach than just writing a training program and not feeling there's someone else on the other side. It's it's just so so important. I think that AI can help as as coaches, and for some people they might like it, but I think for the vast majority, they still want human connection. And um, and you know, within Draw IQ, we, we in our squad, I think one of the most important things is that we have like weekly webinars and a human, another person at the other end of the of the line, and that means a lot to a lot to people, and the, mm. it's important. So the AI will have a place. Do you think, Dan, in terms of like? data analysis and allowing you to look through more data from training without having to sit there and actually do the man hours, so to speak? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no way that I would let an AI plan my training for one of my athletes at the moment. You know, there's absolutely no chance, but I might let it like look at some data for me if it can say, you know, can you, you know, give it, I mean, I don't know if it's possible, but, you know, you give it three files and, so like, can you look at this data and is there anything you can see, whatever, you know, like just like GB chat, like it's so good. And I use that all the time for say, like, can you, I write a blog and can you check this for spelling and grammar? You know, it's, yeah. um, but it's not writing the blog for me. It's just doing the extra bits on top that I would have had to get someone else to do or read it through myself. It's, that's the way, that's where I see it. It's a similar, similar concept or context of that. I'd love the idea of, potentially planning two sessions for an athlete and the AI decides which, which based off their recovery data, they put into the, they can, it might be a subtle change or might take out a little bit of intensity based on the recovery data. That would be cool to have a program where, even if it was for the masses where you had um, just two to three options for each day, but essentially sleep data, muscle soreness score, HRV, boom, they get it. They get, one of the three options based off that score, you know, but I agree with you that you, um, that you, you wouldn't want to hand it completely over to a, com- to a computer at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's just, even, even with all that data, like the HRV, the muscle soreness, it's just, 
you know, there's so much more context to be to be had mm. than that as well. You know, yeah. Like, I mean, I wouldn't consider that as personalized coaching, but I mean, it's that would be the in between between a full yeah. generic plan and a uh, and a proper personalized yeah. coaching. Because yeah. the the thing is, is that I mean, I worked in, I was doing work in this space for a long time, um, and the issue the issue is even with that, you give it the HRVs, you give it the muscle soreness. And then it's then it might, but you don't know like the, the person might have run for the past three days and not cycled in three days, for example, if they're a triathlete, and then they go and give it another run. It, it just it, it doesn't know the the context of of that kind of thing. And this is it, yeah. it's it's yeah. there's so many there are so many layers that it's really it's really hard, really hard. Mm. Yeah, it could be as simple as the wife threatens divorce one more time. <laughs> and, then, and you'd, you know so many and, factors that suddenly screw you you know what you should be and, doing and AI, yeah. AI, AI doesn't pick up that you should take her out to breakfast the next morning instead of going like a long <laughs> ride yeah, 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 yeah. adds another couple of hours onto your ride instead <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so I, um the opposite of that then really if if you had unlimited resources dan and money time wasn't a constraint is there any scientific like study or test that you'd like that you think about often and think I'd really like to perform that at some point? Ooh, there's a lot of things actually, really. I mean, I mean, just we we, we talked about the ketones, but one of one of the things that I'm really interested in is um, I, I feel that we just don't know anything about carbohydrate ingestion during sport. And it sounds it sounds obvious, right? And people are like, well, we take as we take 90 grams an hour, oxidation rates this, but that we don't actually know and we know so little about it like like if we take carbohydrates it, we think oh we, we, we're reserving our muscle glycogen right so but actually no muscle glycogen depletion is exactly the same no matter how much carbohydrate you take so so then what is it it's obviously it's a hyper it's a hyperglycemic kind of thing it's a blood glucose control and then therefore what is happening with substrate and fat oxidation and carbohydrate oxidation because if you if you look at the research when you take in carbohydrates the net is actually the same carbohydrate oxidation moves up a little bit fat oxidation comes down a little bit everything ends up the same but clearly carbohydrates are effective to um for performance during long distance exercise so i'm i'm just fascinated in this space and and i think it's amazing how it's such a massive industry and it, it's still filled with unanswered questions and a lot of bro science um yeah this is this is this is what this is what i would love to kind of get stuck into so on that note how how often are you the human lab rat like i know reedy and i say to people a lot of the time like we've made a lot of the mistakes so you don't have to are you the same? Do you go and like you think you know what I would like to try that, and then you go and try? X. Yeah, well, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, a prime example would be my my kind of life going down like a lower carb approach to exercise and training. You know, like I think I, I've got to the position where I've perfected that quite well, and um, but you know, I, I, at the start it was a nightmare, and and I think really you were the same. Like you know, I took way too little carbs. I thought ketosis was the answer, um, and um, and you know, just finding the balance between the the timing and how many carbs you have need during exercise, and it just it just um, it just baffles me now how we've suddenly in the past few years we've gone from it went from sixty grams to ninety grams. Okay, ninety grams an hour is okay. Okay, I can live with that. Fructose and glucose, you cannot oxidize, you cannot oxidize um, carbohydrates at that rate. But now we're at 120 grams per hour, and we're thinking that this is the answer because the pros are doing it. And it's like, yeah. and it just makes no sense to me. What's interesting too, Dan, is I think people group exercise in general as being okay with now ingesting 90 grams of carbs an hour <laughs> and simple yeah. sugars. Yeah. And I'm like, no, it's still not okay. When you're fit enough, you're still going to get a massive glucose spike. You're still going to get a big insulin response, especially if you're in like a low zone two state. I, I felt it myself, like you, and you measure it on your glucose monitor. You, if I take fructose for some reason, I seem to be particularly responsive, but it's a whack and then a huge dip in energy yeah. for me if I don't keep it keep it pouring in. Um, I, I, I think the idea that it's somehow 
I think it's different when you're closer to LT2 and really potentially, I don't know, I don't seem to, as long as you're in a race situation, but to be pouring in that yeah. amount of simple sugars during training day in, day out, I think you're setting yourself up to become pre-diabetic. Yeah. And, and, and you know what, like there was a, there was a great, there was a paper that was um, published by um, Philip Koenig, um and he, and he was basically looking at low carb diets and high carb diets and 800 meter running performance and, you know, people on a low carb diet, they still oxidize fat during 800 meter running, and they actually had no detriment in their in their performance, even over 800 meters. But one of the things that he found was 30% of the population who were on the high carb diet were pre became pre diabetic because of it. And I and I think this is this is the um, many many athletes now are almost addicted to sugar, addicted to addicted to having gels. So therefore their requirement is always high during racing because it's more of a it's more of a neurological response that's just they just need it all the time. And um and therefore and, and yeah, and they, they, many of them are pre-diabetic. And you can and you know what you can tell but if you if you're if you're an athlete who goes into the off season and suddenly puts on a shit ton of weight, like just just that really quick, you're one of these people who's probably pre-diabetic because you're 100% responsible on exercise to move glucose around and your insulin is not doing its job. And, um, and I think that, that's a real telltale sign. Interesting. So for the listeners out there, what we're going to do, um, like most pros, financially, it's a roller coaster as a pro athlete. And, um, we know, but I think it's going to be, Dan's going to hit Burkle up and tell him that he's forgotten to pay some fees from four or five years ago and that <laughs> oh. it's time to pay up <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. I think Burkle might be pretty clued in, but you never know. So, all right, I, I mean, I have to, I have to, um, I have to get serious now. Like I have to try and compose myself. A I better bit. mute myself. <laughs> Actually, that'll sort of make it funny if you can hear laughter in the background. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me give him a crack. I'll give, I'll give him a crack now. Hopefully he answers. We'll try again closer to three. Dan, we've been getting some complaints that we don't finish the show properly, but we honestly didn't think anyone made it this far. So we do want to thank you for coming on. Um, always interesting, very didactic experience. Uh, we appreciate your time. And do you want to plug anything you've got coming up? Enduro IQ, tell people about it. Yeah, so Enduro IQ is, um, it's the, I guess it's the upper version of Reperformance Group, the upper class version. Dan, if anyone's going to want to take that bit out. But yeah, so we've got, we got like one, we got coaching, we have a, a training squad, which is kind of more of a generic, generic group community coaching. Um, but we also have our courses as well, which are very popular. So online education from um, from monitoring to nutrition to training plans to um, coping with the heat, which is a good one. And we're just building one now that's on strength training. So I'm not leading that one because I don't I'm not clued up on it. But we've got um, Dr. Adam Story, who's who is my who worked with me at Emirates Team New Zealand when I worked there, and he's um, he's a real guru in the area. So yeah, we've got that. What about you personally, Dan? You got any? Um races in the back of your mind that we can send oh, the RPG boys Tim to Burke was calling me. Is he? Yes. Oh. Hey Burks. Hey. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. It's all good. How's um how's things your end? Sorry, what's that? How are things your end? Yeah, how's little Hendrix going? Hendrix going well? Yeah, he's good, yeah. Yeah, he's going well. It was his birthday yesterday. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, Bella's first day of school um, this week, so she's uh, she's living it. Yeah, it's been good. Hey, mate, I've just got to um, – sorry, I wanted, I needed to call you on this rather than um, rather than send you a note. I've just been – like, it's the end of um, end of year – like, Kate was doing the end of year finances. 
and um and we just came up and i I noticed that you've got like five thousand dollars worth of unpaid coaching fees and like things are uh, things are a little bit tight i was just do you do you remember Nah, nah, it's five thousand. Well, and also, like it's been five years, so we're gonna, I'm gonna probably have to get a little bit of interest on it now, you know. So it's probably, you know, we talk about a thousand dollars per week, you know, it's gonna be probably closer to twenty k by now. Oh, sorry, Bucks. They made me do it. <laughs> Dan, just hold it up to the mic for us so we can hear him. Hey, Burks. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Bucks. You would, I mean, I know you have. I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you, 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 you did pay. No, there's a, there's no, no outstanding fees, but, but, um, Reedy said he's gonna, he has to get you twenty times before the end of his podcast. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll speak soon. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Speaking from experience, he'll be sitting on the lounge for the next hour just shaking. Just like. <laughs> <laughs> that was Brutal. exceptional. Well done. And thanks for coming on again. No worries. No worries. I'm pleased he, I'm pleased he picked up in the end. <laughs> All, right. All right. Good on you. Yeah. Catch you soon. Thanks, Thanks, Dan. Dan. Thanks. See ya. See ya. Ciao, ciao.